Welcome to the special Clock Talk Live in London, where we capture the magic, ideas, and experiences of the 2022 Clock EMEA Summit. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. We're going to get this party started with a very special person in this industry. It is my absolute privilege and pleasure to welcome to the stage a legal operations superstar. She is the head of technology and legal operations at Netflix. She's also a clock board member and an amazing colleague and friend. Please welcome Jen McCarran. Thank you. Put it together for Anya Lyons. She's crushing it out here in EMEA with all of you every day. So nice to see you all, like Anya said. My name is Jen McCarran. I lead the legal operations and technology function at Netflix. Perhaps you've heard of us. We make TV shows and movies, and I hope you subscribe. I'm also on the clock board of directors. I'm based in Los Angeles, hence my ridiculous water bottle that I walk around Los Angeles with. But I have the attitude and origin story and dress code of New York City, which translates quite well to Britain. Might I say, thank you all for laughing at my extreme jokes all week. The Brits, you guys eat it up. You actually go, come in closer and be even more absurd. So I'm having a blast being in your city. And geographically, you're all coming in today, I read, from 25 countries. So. Put it together, 25 countries all in one room. That's a way better cross-section than we see in Vegas. Our Vegas Institute is pretty US-centric. I wanna tell you a fun fact about myself and then we're gonna get into the program here. So fun fact, for those that don't already know, because I came out of the closet in Vegas, before my legal ops and tech career, about 10 to 14 years ago, I was a touring musician. I played bass guitar in about seven rock bands, and I spent my whole 20s waking up in a different city every day in a blur, finding a record store coffee and then playing a show at night. And we're going to come into some of the skills I learned along the way and how they lend themselves to storytelling, which I believe is one of the most important skills that we can all have as legal ops tech and, as Anya said, transformation leaders. This work is not easy, so let's get into it. And oh, surprise, we are doing a podcast today up on stage, so you will be our live studio audience. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. It'd be so cool if I made you cry. That would be a new feather in my hat. Let's see. KPIs. And I'm going to speak with two of our industry peers that I'm going to bring up to the stage so enjoy and then listen back later wherever you listen to podcasts. And P.S. I used to work at Spotify, so I hope you're all subscribed. Members to Spotify. Please help me. Welcome to the stage, Mara Shrevogel and Amir Kelly. Our format is name, company and role where you are, geographic location, and a fun fact about yourself. And keep it to a minute or so. You guys can go in a little deeper if, if you get so inspired. But Maris, we'll start with you. Please introduce yourself to our lovely studio audience. Thank you very much. My name is Maris Schreifogel. I'm based out of Switzerland and I work for EY Law 
as a legal function consulting leader focusing on Europe West. The fun fact is about my name. And my name, Schreivogel, is a very German name, and it means screaming bird. The fun fact is that I'm related to every person with the last name Schreivogel around the world, which is not very difficult because we are just about 15 people around the entire world. Wow, interesting. Screaming bird. That's a bit your spirit, too, <laughs> Maris. Thank you so much. Well done. Amir, please. So I'm Ema Kelly. I'm VP and Senior Counsel at American Express, based in London. I lead a shared services team. We have a follow the sun model. We have colleagues in London, Malaysia, and Argentina. And my fun fact is I am a, well, before I became a lawyer, I was a drama teacher. So if it all goes wrong, you know what? I've got something to fall back on, but a very happy time. And Mary, you didn't tell me this on our prep call that you were, I was on our prep call being extremely dramatic. I live in Los <laughs> Angeles. This is what they've trained me to do. You didn't tell me that. Oh, but you see years and years of being a lawyer has trained the drama out of me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sad. Maybe we can bring some of it back in our podcast discussion. We're talking about storytelling today. Storytelling as a skill and one of the critical components in storytelling is the drama and is an element of vulnerability, which lends itself to drama and to open things up. And I believe that as leaders and the storytellers and the strategy setters inside these legal organizations, we have to bring some of this to that messaging table in order to capture your leadership and capture your audience. When we talk about vulnerability, though, I'm going to open us up. And Maris, I'm coming for you with my favorite topic to bring up on a podcast, failure. Let's get into failure. Let's get into places where we've absolutely run into walls. Knowing our failures, being able to stand up and shout our failures is really the cornerstone of vulnerability. It's not confidence. It's not knowing everything. And I put in contract management eight times successfully. No, not even a one. Maris, tell me about your early days transitioning into legal ops and tell us how you really felt. I felt like an alien. <laughs> Maybe starting, I was part of the legal function as a counsel. And I didn't like it very much. Probably I wasn't very good at it as well. But it was the profession I dreamed about and I always wanted to be in. When I started working, though, I realized there's something wrong either with the profession or with me. And since it was 2007 or 2006, it was probably me. And I then took the very difficult decision to leave law and I transitioned to another department. I spent nearly three years in internal audit. And in internal audit, I learned about operational excellence. I've learned about what all these other functions that I barely knew did all day long. In addition to delivering their services, in addition to doing what they do, they had this continuous drive to becoming better at what it is that they did. 
After spending some time in this group, I was asked to design an audit program for the legal function. And I did. And shortly thereafter, I was asked to actually conduct this audit and running a first ever audit of the legal function at the time brought me back into the legal function because many of the questions I asked couldn't be answered. And it was considered that these questions probably should be answered. And since there was nobody who was interested in answering those questions, I was offered a job as, as a project manager because nobody knew about legal operations at that point in time. And so I started to bring or trying to bring operational excellence to the legal function. And this is where I felt, again, like an alien because I was the only one interested in how. Everybody else was so busy in delivering, in working, yeah. in counseling. And I stepped out of that stream and I focused my entire career since that moment helping legal functions on how to deliver legal services. And the first couple of years, probably the hardest. And I have been coming very close to giving up multiple times because still at that point in time, I didn't know whether I was wrong or whether there is something wrong about how we deliver legal services. And that constant feeling of uncertainty was really, really hard for me to bear, to be certain that what we were trying to do, and we started small, we started with bringing in transparency, for example, but even there, transparency in order to do what? And then slowly, I started to learn about Clark. I started to learn about other people who were on a similar journey. And this is where I started to feel better. I started to feel that I need to continue. I might not be right in everything that I was thinking at the time, but there were other people who were on a similar journey that I could discuss, that I could find support from, that I could find a mutual interest in further developing our profession. Maris, before you get into the happy times, pause. And let me frame this all as act one. And in any story, any good story that you all know that Shakespeare has written, he comes from the land here. Act one, act two, act three, three act story. So Maris, you come into this legal department by way of audit. How odd, but how kind of spot on audit coming in and asking all the questions. And you came in with a goal of understanding how, the how and the why this legal department is working in such a way. And it got you to a place of absolute befuddlement, wondering, is it them or is it me? Is that the blue sky or the ocean we're headed towards, basically? <laughs> Does that track? Absolutely, yeah. Act one, goal set. Emer, tell us, when you came into this role, as a drama teacher turned trained lawyer, yeah, went into the shadow self and became a lawyer, and then you come over to the deepest shadows of Black legal ops. <laughs> what was your act one like? And does anything Morris, 
was painting for us in terms of feelings. I'll take alien as a feeling. That's a feeling. It's isolation. It's alone. It's questioning your own presence and being. What resonates? I think many of things you said resonated for me. I mean, this feeling of, should I just give up? I think that's something that many of us feel. But I think the that when you described feeling vulnerable, I think that was something I felt very much. So 20 years of practicing as a lawyer, most of it in a retailer where you were trained to deliver fast at speed, diagnose the problem fast, provide a solution and go and find a solution and know the answer. If you don't know the answer, you're in trouble. I think that was it. You know, actually in this role, you are maybe implementing technology, maybe convincing people that that's a good idea. And you know what? You don't necessarily know. So I find it sometimes uncomfortable that you're recommending, feeling like a lawyer in my lawyer shoes, recommending a course of action and you don't know for sure. Like that's a vulnerable place. And I think many of us ex-lawyers have that training and you kind of have to shift yourself from that mindset into a different mindset. I think as well, what you're saying about drama is really important. So ex-lawyers, we're told that being credible is when you're calm, when you're talking in monotone. Oh, wow. That is not the way. That doesn't work for our work. No. And, you know, you may be convincing a team that are skeptical, don't want to adapt. This is a good thing to do. And you can't do that with a monotone. And I think that's also a hard place to shift yourself. For me, it was really hard to shift from... Even with a drama teacher background? I can. I can. Can you just snap in and and become a thespian? (laughs) You're about to ask me to and I won't. (laughs) I won't put her on the spot. But can you do it or do you do it when you get in front of legal leadership? I think if I believe and I do believe in transformation, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the role at Amex was because I wanted to modernize the industry. I loved what I did. It was a great job. But actually, this is about transforming something. And I do believe in that. When I'm in front of the legal department, especially in Los Angeles, I flip the drama switch and the hands get big and jazzy and the water bottle comes out and the spotlight comes on and and I crank. I really crank it up with them. But I know my audience and most of them are deal lawyers. There's hundreds of show deal lawyers there and all the legal professionals as well. And so it works. However, I'll tell you both a a big failure on this exact topic. I took that drama and that same set of slides and I marched into one of my early presentations to the chief legal officer, Netflix, David Hyman. And I went in hot, like Hollywood hot, looking at my Oscar statues over there. And he went, stop this shit. He just immediately shut me down and gave me a stop it. No, no. What are you like? Nope. And he went, none of this marketing stuff works for me. Let me give you some constructive feedback. And I was like, here we go. Like the Netflix seat was rocketing up because that's one of the tenets of the corporate culture there. And being able to not only take it, but smile, thank them, and then recontextualize it. And he said, I want to see ROI as in cost benefit on every single thing you're doing for us over the next three to five years and a budget. And I was like, okay, okay. And I took my marketing slides and left the meeting and said, I'll be back in two weeks. And I came back in two weeks with exactly that. So talk about using the drama 
and I ran right into a wall, the CLO wall with the drama and bounced off. Luckily, it wasn't too hard a cement wall and came back in two weeks and landed it. And I found this visual style, brain learning and listening style, which every leader has that preference. And it's on every one of you to learn every leader's preference that you have to convince. And it means if you shape shift, yep, that's part of our job because you have to communicate this message. And the only way to learn each one of their styles is by listening, really active listening, like so active, you're tired at night. We talked a little bit about this concept of the listening tour in our prep session, because many of us think, and I suffer from this too, as a New Yorker, I just want to come in and go fast and drink five coffees and execute because I'm a fierce executor. And I learned that the hard way is the wrong thing to do. And now a brief pause for this message from our sponsor, Pinsent Mason's Vario. Thank you, Pinsent, for making this episode possible. Pinsent Mason's Vario is a leading alternative legal service business. Combining people, process, and technology, Pinsent designs outcome-focused solutions for their clients. Pinsent's managed legal services delivers the smartest combinations with the best outcomes. By combining the expertise of an international law firm, flexible professionals, Lean Six Sigma Hone processes, and pioneering legal technology, they make their clients' legal services work better and smarter for their businesses. Pinsent Mason's Vario Managed Legal Services. The right work, done by the right people, at the right price. Thank you, Pinsent, for making this episode possible and for your sponsorship. And now, back to the episode. Let's talk about listening and get into sort of act two of where these career stories went. So Maris, you're in the legal ops role, Novartis. You're moving through alien stage. You're starting to unpeel your alien scales and go, I am a human and legal is truly screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you start to, where did you take steps towards, how did you use listening as a vehicle? So... It took me a while to understand that listening is important. First, I thought I need to do all of this by myself. I brought in transparency. I brought up technology that nobody was interested in. Nice. Can anyone relate to that? Did anyone ever bring in technology nobody gives a flying bleep about? Okay. Mary O'Carroll's like me. All the- Mary's like, I built a career on this. Thank you. Mary and I really vibe more on our failures than our successes. It's working, you guys. Okay. Yeah. And then I had probably similar to you this moment where I was pulled aside by Shannon Klinger. Your general counsel. The general counsel at the time. And she told me, stop selling shiny tools. Stop trying to modernize. Stop and ask what people want and need. And try to figure out why people should be considering anything that you're suggesting. And that was the single most relevant piece of advice I've ever received. Because this is where we started to completely changed the way we tried to transform, to modernize the way we worked. And we started our listening tour 
by speaking not with the members of the legal department, but with everybody else. We started to speak with the top 200 leaders of the company, trying to find out not what we've asked them before, which was, how did you like us? How did you like working with us? We changed slightly to ask them, would you like from us in the future? And how would you like to collaborate with us? That was the first piece of information that was absolutely crucial for us to receive and to see black and white that what we're doing today is not necessarily what we need to do going forward in order to optimally support the strategic priorities of our business. If I could frame what you just said back against narrative structure of a story, Maris just described the inciting incident or act two is really conflict. If you think of Game of Thrones, think of all those battle scenes and there's just killing on the field. That is what you just went through. That's the small moment I went through with my chief legal officer, the listening part to get to success. And it's a really important part of our story, of our development. You know, Maris is telling us his own story, but every slide deck you do even has a story within it and follows this same three-act or goal conflict resolution structure. And I love that. She spun you around and said, cut it out. Listen, now go back out. Emer, listening. Yeah. Tell me how big your listening tour was in your early <laughs> days and how you got into the setup for the conflict and really learning what people need in order to resolve. So I think when I started in the role, I would have kind of said, listening, well, that's not delivering. I think listening is really, really underrated. So I started out coming from retail, was asked to come up with a plan. So I started out on the Monday, on the Friday, I was in my boss's office with a plan. And on, he, uh, you were on Friday? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had the plan. As a lawyer? Yeah, as a lawyer strange. fixing a problem. You, okay, got it. Yeah, this, yeah. This is very dramatic. So know what the problem is, obviously, yeah, without actually obviously. asking anyone. Four whole days, obviously. Yes. <laughs> so he said, no, 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 I'd like to hear from you in three months time, please. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with the next three months of my time, but that's quite nice. I don't often have time. And I figured out fairly quickly, actually, what I needed to do was listen. And so, yeah, I spent three months talking to my team, my colleagues, my stakeholders, my boss, what did they want? But really not just taking in information, it was understanding frustrations what didn't work for them, what did, what their ambitions were, how skeptical really they were, and was there anything that would ever shift them? Yeah. And I was methodical about it. I think we all have to be methodical. And I sort of worked through it all. And from this point, sort of built a bit of a picture of who are my supporters? Who will I convince eventually? Maybe... Who will I never convince? And then I built my plan around that. But it was, you know, active listening. We talk about active listening and being really honest. I continue to go back to stakeholders and say, I still haven't figured out something I can deliver for what will suit you. But at least I'm honest. That's amazing. Telling a stakeholder, no, not now. Trying to leave them with a modicum of hope. I think the first answer can't be no. 
what is the first answer? Because I heard on a podcast recently from Dr. Larry Richard that we should tell lawyers no <laughs> as a way to kind of get in the, the ring with them. Get and, the energy going. Yeah. But why don't you say uh, no? Because I think that does kill off any hope. And I think that many are literal thinkers. And you know what? No is, okay, move on to the next task. I think where we all tend to run into the wall is there's a lot of literal thinking or left brain thinking, linear, logical. It's a lot of else. That's a lot of alliteration. (laughs) But what the work we do and the theme I'm hearing across here is if you're listening and you're going for pain points and frustrations, it's right brain. This is actually all emotion. And every interaction you all have every day as walking human beings, You have to get through the emotional to get to the back of the brain and all that linear thinking. And what I'm hearing is you're doing and you're doing a lot of that by listening. You both mentioned the word pain point and frustration and wearing that. Maris, tell me how much pain are you absorbing and pulling out from the stakeholder group in your regular work at Novartis? Well, you're at EY Law now, but in the role at Novartis, What was the pain threshold like? So when we started to, first of all, speaking to the recipient, the beneficiaries of legal services or of the people that we collaborate with, what we've learned from them is that they need quite different from what they're receiving today. Yes. And then going back, the second tour was speaking to the legal professionals. Yeah. And that was surprising that we always thought they never want to change. What we've learned is that there actually is quite a lot of activities that we do today that people feel miserable with. Absolutely. That people do because they believe they have to do. And I think oftentimes legal departments are kind of the activity bin of, you know, stuff that nobody else wants to do just because other departments are better organized if there is an activity that you don't really know where to place. And if it sounds a little legal, the legal department does it. We're not very well equipped to do those activities and we might not even be very good at it. But since we are diligent, smart, we will do the best that we can with what we have. But that makes people miserable because they're spending far too long on relatively simple activities, or we're reinventing the wheel on transactional tasks. And I think that was very powerful in our transformation to leverage this pain to drive change. Leverage pain to drive change. Put that on a quote and wrap it around a banner outside. That is brilliant. And that is where your strategy should start or your next iteration of a strategy should be. And this listening tour, it never stops. You set a foundational one with a three, I think mine was about four months. I was instructed to do it at Netflix. And then I was instructed to end it at Netflix and write the strategy, print it up and go. And in there, you can't find the pain unless you're asking questions and then listening and all the answers. And one of my first solutions in my listening tour that I designed was a process where they were asking for a technology solution, the IP, content IP legal team, 
said, what's a technology solution to do ABC? And I said, well, tell me, when do you do ABC and how? What's the current process? We always need to find that out. And she said, I do it on the weekends while I'm watching Netflix. And I said, well, that doesn't sound so great. And that's not the best data integrity method I've ever heard. And I said, why? And she said, I'm so busy during the week. It's hard to context switch to this highly manual, sort of like a mail opening and logging into a system as a record of pitch, script pitch requests that the company gets. And they're like, what's the tech solution? I'm like, there's no tech solution. You're miserable. Why don't we package this up and ship it out to one of our favorite legal service outsourcers? Because you can pay them to do the really miserable work and Elevate will never complain. (laughs) So long as you pay them on their payment terms, like any good business partnership. And so off it went. And the team was skeptical at first when I showed them the cost of what a solution, a process solution done right done with accuracy, with a fast turnaround looks like in two days, they were still skeptical on the price. And I said, give me one quarter to show you the value of what it really costs to get this done. And after a quarter, they not only were bought in, but they threw my team a party at like a local restaurant bar and a lot of hip hip hooray because there were a couple of sort of litigation requests that came in during that quarter where they needed to turn around and get the data out of the system like that. And there it was, and our outsourcer providing really clean data that was processed and packaged within a two-day turnaround time. So they threw us a party. And I would have never known that if I just didn't sit in the room. And like these two were talking, but those two were pouting. They had a pout on about how the work was. And to be able to empathically key in on that and go, why do they look so miserable? And what can we do about that? We're here to help every legal professional, admin assistant, exec assistant, and lawyer do all the work better. And that's also something to be mindful of. I'm talking now about the solutions and getting to act three, new equilibrium resolution, goal conflict resolution, act three. I mentioned earlier this, trying to debunk this myth of Big bang solutions. You know, that process and solution I just described was so small and so incremental, yet so big. I feel like we notched the nose of the plane this way instead. I landed that team in a whole new city they didn't think they could get to. Tell me, Amir, to you, incremental gains versus big bang. And how are you tracking success after your first few listening towards strategy executions, what camp are you falling in? Where are you on the scale? So definitely incremental. Amazing. For sure. A strategy of incremental gains. Mm. Yes. Because there is no one size fits all. There is no one tool that does everything. And I think it's about being really honest about that. And I loved your story about, I need something that does ABC. I mean, I'm very much, we've got something that probably will do A, And actually, I think if you're really honest about that at the outset, that's absolutely fine. People will embrace the tools. And we have moved to a workflow automation platform. Okay. And that workflow automation is the hack for incremental gains because it's connective tissue. You can connect many processes, teams, systems. Yeah. And it's, it's not so expensive. It's an easier sell up front. Yeah. I think so. Although 
was an easy sell to everyone except those in my team. Oh, right. Okay. Because they were like, okay, but my world doesn't really change with this. Yeah. Actually, it's amazing. There's a portal and our stakeholders can access that way and that's much quicker. But actually, I'm still doing the same. I had to find a way really to appeal to them to say, actually, well, here is the time that it takes you to do this manual process right now. You're not going to have to do that. What are you going to do with that time? And I don't necessarily mean more work. I mean, what will you do? Will you talk to someone? Will you listen? Will you do something differently? And we say lawyers like evidence. They do like evidence. These tools provide data. That's evidence. That's great evidence. And I would talk to the team about meant for them. So rather than it being, shall we tell our stakeholders how wonderful we are every month and bring them a dashboard? It was like, how can we create a dashboard for you that looks at the work you're doing? And how can we build your future career around that? How can we make it something interesting for you? And that way we could cope with the fact that it wasn't something that was going to completely change their worlds, but it was something that would make some small, significant, meaningful changes. I love this. Now you're talking about data and dashboards, and that's a whole other podcast that we should part two on, on how you tell a story with data because that's another vector of numbers and then using infographic design to make those pop. But quickly, and then I'm going to move to two, two audience asks, Maris, what is your key metric or performance indicator that you're tracking in your solution state for the legal department at this point? Out of this activity analysis that we performed trying to enable our legal professionals to do the things that our business partners wanted us to do, we found that we need to stop or find smarter ways to do the activities that we've been doing historically. So the one metric that we used was a very single count of number of hours that we returned to legal professionals, either through improved process design, through automation, or, and that's the coolest, through stop doing stuff. The stop doing solution. That, it's I mean, real. That's, it's that's really, solution. really cool because yeah. that is where kind of your count moves the fastest because... Yes. And I think that is a very powerful number and it's not complicated to measure. Everybody understands it and it translates very well in the amount of time carved out for business partnering, which is the single most demanded thing by everybody around the legal department. You're giving time back to the legal folks to build relationships with others and get business done in a better way and support those teams better. It's our number one metric. It's the one I want on the jumbotron in my metrics layer of the future in my office is number of hours saved. And when I told you about that presentation to my chief legal officer, the productivity gains were measurements of projected numbers of hours saved. And if one NDA tool can save us at our volume, six months of one person's time. Imagine document and contract workflow on 1,000 contract types. And when you start to show those models, anyone can get excited about that. I want to turn this out to the audience and I want to ask for two bold volunteers to come up here on stage for 30 seconds max 
or a minute max, I think I said. And I want to hear you say your name, where you're from, your role, your geography, and either a fun fact or a fail fact about you. Now that we're all deep in admitting, we maybe have no idea what we're doing, but we're really good at listening and identifying pain and solving on a very humanistic level. Come up here and say it back out to this wonderful audience. And I really want you to emphasize your names like I did earlier, like our guests did today, because our names are a story in themselves. And they're actually the only thing that every single one of us is sure of. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea how to do a contract management implementation, right? I tend to run it into a few walls first, and then I get there through interpolation. But our names, you've had that, you were given that, and we're sewn into that. And one of the biggest tips I got in preparing my first ever Netflix presentation was say your name. My wife actually made me repeat my name about 300 times preparing for that presentation. More, She's like, I don't care about the content. It's fine. Say your name. Say it with more confidence. Say it with a period at the end of the sentence. So I want to see two people volunteer boldly come up here, say your name. And then we're going to do an audience measurement of who said, who nailed it. Who nailed their name and who nailed the failure? We'll do like an applause meter because it's my dream to be a talk show host on a reality show. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the voice or what's our equivalent in the UK of the voice? We have the voice. You have the voice. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Maybe it started in the UK, exported over. So let's see it. Whose heart is beating just by me saying, please, please come up. Take a mic. That, that's always a strong sign, too, when someone's some kook on the stage like me is going, I want to volunteer. If your heart is beating a little bit faster by me saying that, you should come up and say something. Do I have another volunteer? Don't lie. Don't lie. There we go. Ma'am, please come up. Grab a microphone. We got a microphone on the way for you. And I'm purposely not asking your name yet because you're going to tell us your name. Okay, I'm Jane Wills. I work for Equinix. I'm based here in London, literally a block away. I'm a program and project manager. Interesting thing, fact about me, I'm related on the mammy side to a chap called Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wild. So storytelling (laughs) is definitely my jam. Jane Wills, Equinix, data centers, we nail it. Jane Wills, okay. Oh, okay. I feel like she just came up and punched us in the face. You're feeling it. We like to be punched in the face in the UK, yeah? No, maybe that's a Boston thing. Okay, please come up. And it's all yours. Hi, my name is Sarah. I come from Madrid, Spain. And for me, it's difficult to talk like angels, like Lexi. But I think that my big fail with implementation of uh, technology is not think about the requirements and don't think about the people in a client. I tell, okay, you have to listen to people. You have to empower the people. They say, no, 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 no. It's very complicated and we are going to fail. And I understand that is not the way the things that can do. And now I'm systemic coach, and for me, it's very important use methodologies like design thinking or whatever to put in the center of the people. Thank you. Thank you. 
So we have the total Irish storytelling for decades and generations confidence, contestant number one. And then we have contestant number two coming up and really failing and really <laughs> telling you all and digging deep. Let's hear for contestant number one by way of applause. Who, what, how'd we, okay. we like the confidence. We like the flattery. It all just flowed right out of you. And then contestant number two, how'd we feel about her presentation of herself? Well, we've tallied the votes <laughs> and we have some prizes over here actually for both contestants. I'm going to say that contestant number two got a little bit louder of an applause. So thank you. And that is because you all like watching and listening and relating to failure because in that is the conflict, in that is the resolution and a new equilibrium. And we can really all relate to that. I want to thank Maris and Emer for joining us today and podcasting live. Thank you. Thank you all for participating as a live and lovely studio audience. And thank you. And you look great in your dad hat. Just keep failing and keep talking about it confidently. Thank you. See you out there. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>